Thank you for downloading this episode of Software Gone Wild, a podcast focused on everything software defined. To get more episodes and explore other SDN and network automation resources, visit sdn.ipspace.net. Welcome to another episode of Software Gone Wild, full of magic and intent. We'll talk about something called NetComplete, and straight off the website, it automatically auto-completes configurations for routers running multiple interacting protocols, including policy-based protocols like BGP and shortest path protocols like OSPF. NetComplete takes as input configuration with holes that identify the parameters to be completed and auto-completes this with concrete values. And then there's this picture which shows network topology and forwarding requirements and configuration sketches and magic, and you get out the network-wide configurations. Obviously, this sounds highly interesting, but also highly improbable, at least to a grumpy skeptic like myself. So I wanted to know more. And Laurent Van Bever was kind enough to book his time and he'll explain to us what this thing does. It is an academic research project what the limitations are, and what actually is going on behind the scenes. And like always, David G. and Nick Boraglio had joined me, and they will ask all the hard questions. You should know all of them if you are a regular listener to the podcast, but just in case you're new, Laurent, let's start with you. What are you doing, and how did you guys get this idea to do something like this? Sure. So just to tell you a little bit about myself, I'm an assistant professor here at TTH Zurich. I started like four years ago. I'm mainly active in the area of uh, network management and internet routing. And uh, I think depending on the scheduling of the different podcasts, your audience might have heard me before or will in the, in the near future. And to explain you a little bit the genesis of the project that you mentioned, which is this NetComplete project. So NetComplete is um, a configuration synthesizer. So uh, what it means is that it's the high-level idea of uh, you give me uh, an intent and I will generate you a configuration that will probably, if you want, implement that intent. So the intent might be forwarding requirement, like you want the traffic between router A and router B to go via router C. So this is kind of a waypointing intent, or perhaps you want the traffic to be load balanced over K pass or you want traffic to go alongside, let's say, ABCD, something like this. So you have a set of high-level intent, and the, the idea of the project is to automatically produce your configurations that implement it. So that is a, kind of an old-ish idea. So people have tried to solve this problem for a long, long time, right? So it's this idea of like autom- automatically configuring networks. And uh, people have been successful in doing so in a specific context, like, for instance, producing, let's say, BGP-only configuration and restraining the type of features that you can use. Perhaps I can call that the first generation of configuration synthesizer. And when we were discussing with operators, what we were realizing is that these configurations that were produced, even though they were correct, they were crazy in the sense that a human would never write a configuration like this. And so as a, an operator, obviously, you are not then comfortable in like deploying this in a network if you cannot reason about what is actually being produced. So it's a little bit like back in the days, if you would imagine like people writing in assembly code and then seeing like for the first time a compiler that would produce most likely crazy assembly code that they cannot reason about. And so what we thought about is that 
can we actually make this more user-friendly? And so that's where NetComplete enters into the picture. Uh, so with NetComplete, we allow operators to give us existing configuration with holes. So it's the idea that you take your initial config. It doesn't implement some requirement, but you would like, of course, to change the configuration so that it does become compliant with these requirements. And you're not sure how, but you know, for instance, that you don't want to change the BGP configuration. You only want to change, perhaps, let's say, an OSPF weight. Or perhaps you cannot change the configuration of uh, such and such routers because you happen not to have control of them because perhaps you are in the edge team and not in the backbone team. So you can then ask NetComplete to produce a configuration which only involves the edge. And the carrier, if you want, that we use in order to uh, for the operators to provide us with this constraint is uh, what we call the sketch, or what, what you have mentioned in your introduction, which is these holes. And so the idea is a little bit like magic, indeed, like you provide me, let's say, with a Cisco configuration or like Juniper configuration with, with some holes, for instance, like IP router or SPF, and then you don't define the link weights after that, so you leave them blank. And then you uh, provide me with the intents you want, and then NetComplete will fill that in and uh, give you back a configuration, which is fully concrete, where the holes have been completed, if possible. And then you guarantee that the behavior is actually the one that you want. And since you are in the driving seat here, you are the one giving the holes, right? The holes can be extremely specific, like one single line on a specific router, or can be very general, like an entire OSPF configuration. So you pick. The idea is that you can reason about the reasons because you were in the driving seat and telling us what to look for. And so to make a long story short, we believe that this is actually this is not only useful for operators because what we generate actually makes sense for them, we believe. It's also good for us because by constraining the configuration by using this sketch, we make the search space smaller for us as well, which helps a little bit for scalability uh, too. So that's, in a, I guess, a very long answer, but that's, in a nutshell, what uh, NetComplete is at a, at a high level, at least. So the simplest example would be, I have my network that is totally asymmetrical, and I want to have some load balancing over it, and that's really, really hard to do unless you go down the traffic engineering path. But I have this funny feeling that if I would tweak OSPF metrics just right, then I might get the network that would be closer to what I want to have, but I simply can't do it in my head because the problem is too big for me to comprehend and hold it in my head. So this tool could do that for me, right? That is correct. That is entirely correct. So you have like an objective, uh, like you want some load balancing and your network does not give you any because you have no ECMP pass, for instance. So you can actually say that you want load balancing and you can even say how many paths you want to be equal. And then you, as a sketch, as a skeleton, if you want, you can circle the OSPF weight. So essentially you leave them blank. So in practice, you, you kind of re replace them with question mark. And then that complete will, uh, will get your configuration with the question mark and your load balancing objective. And then we'll indeed, in this case, because the only thing that you let NetComplete do is uh, is finding the weights, it will actually find the weights that enable load balancing in your network. Of course, the topology has to be such that you can load balance on as many paths as you are requesting. 
there is no magic. If you have only uh, you know, three paths available and you ask for five, then NetComplete cannot do anything and will just like fail and tell you that it's not possible to do. But yeah, I mean, if possible, then NetComplete will give you a set of weights. You can look at these weights, right? It's, your configuration hasn't changed much. It's uh, more or less the same as before, but instead of having like, let's say, uniquely defined weights for each link, now you will have some links that will have the same weights, most likely, right, for ECMP to, to do its job. And then you can check. As you said, right, it's hard to find for a human because there are many links and you need to think about a lot of uh, constraint. But it's kind of easy to verify, right? And so that's what is nice here, I believe, is that if I give you a solution, it's a little bit like this NP complete problem, right? If I show you the solution, at least you can check it more or less easily. But finding the right answer is very hard, right? So this is why NetComplete helps on the former case. And it is totally offline. So I take my configurations. I say, you can play with these parameters. You do your magic. And then I can look at what you did before putting that in production. So I'm totally safe from the operational perspective. Correct. Yes. So we, we certainly did not implement the automation of the pushing, right? So what we do is that we take a set of configurations, right? Like written in text that contains some holes, right? This like a sketch that I mentioned. And we produce other configurations that are fully concrete where the holes have been replaced with actual commands. And this is offline, indeed. It's uh, another directory, if you want, where you can we can look at the configuration. If you're not happy with them, you, of course, don't deploy them. But as I said, you can just like look at them, reason about them. Hopefully, this is something that indeed does what you want, right? And if you are convinced that this is the case, you can then deploy them. And the deployment of the configuration could be automated. I mean, this is something that, I mean, there are many solutions to do that. So we did not do that in our project. As you mentioned, this is research. So of course, we were interested in how we can do this, right? Rather than the more engineering question, I would say, of like pushing the configuration in the network, for which I believe there are already solutions of the shelf that can be leveraged there and that we can directly, let's say, pipeline into. That's interesting. I mean, I, for one, I think that's a really good move on, on your part, um, separating that out. Typically, I think these days that's an operator's choice on how they want to push that configuration down. And there are other tools out there which litter the generated config with tags that are unusable in the kind of generic sense. Um, so I think that's a really, really kind of good point you made. What I'm really interested in here is how those holes are filled in. So there's obviously some kind of, you've got some kind of a package in the background with an algorithm or algorithms running. And I guess for every use case is going to be a separate implementation. So taking Ivan's case of path balancing. Um, an ECMP. I mean, how would that look like from the back-end decision-making that fills in those holes? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And of course, this is where the, most of the research, if not all of the research went into, right? It's how do we actually auto-complete these holes, right? And so essentially what we have in, in the background is a model of like BGP or SPF. So right now we support BGP or SPF and, uh, and static routes. And if you want, this model is kind of flexible. So it's a model whose behavior can be partially defined. So let me explain this uh, a little bit more. So if you think of your configuration with, with these holes, right? This, this example Ivan was mentioning with some weights not defined, perhaps some weights are defined, perhaps they are not defined at all. So what NetComplete is doing is like from this configuration, constrain the way OSPF computes. So if you have like some links that have a weight, then that complete will consider that these weights are fixed. So if you think of like OSPF running Dijkstra, 
In the Dijkstra world, these links will have a cost that is given in the configuration, and all the others will not have any uh, way defined. In technical term, we call them symbolic variable. It, it's just like a variable which has no concrete value, and so it's symbolic. The goal of the uh, of this algorithm is to take a symbolic model, which is partially constrained by, by this configuration, give me, and then to concretize it with values for all the symbolic variables, like, for instance, 2, 3, 4, uh, for link, I don't know, ABC. And the way that works, so that's a very hard problem, by the way. So it's heavily uh, combinatorial, so this is a problem that requires a lot of computation to work, and so it's hard to scale. Essentially, you are inverting an algorithm, right? You can think of the Dijkstra or the SPF algorithm, and here you want to find the input that will give you a given output. So in the case of Ivan, the output is that the traffic is load balance, and then you need to find me the weights that will actually make it such. So essentially, you are inverting a distributed algorithm here. The way we do it is by iteration in the case of OSPF. So we try with some weights and start with some basic assignments there. And then we try. So we get concrete values for these symbolic variables. We run SPF on that and we get forwarding pass. And then we check, are the requirements that Ivan wanted met or not? And if they are not, then we'll get some counterexample. Actually, for instance, look here, traffic is not load balanced. And what we do is we learn from these counterexamples iteratively. So uh, we try once, we get a counterexample, then take the counterexample into account, adapt the assignments, try again. And the cool thing here is that uh, that thing actually converges very, very fast. So we have we've been actually very impressed with the performance here. Uh, we, we have run this on networks with hundreds of nodes, and it, it was like converging in seconds. So it, it's something that works really nicely, but that's for OSPF. I'm not sure I want to go there uh, now. You will probably ask a question uh, just after about other protocols because you mentioned this, right? But we do have, if you want, a dedicated algorithm for OSPF. That's the one I gave the intuition for right now. And then we have also like dedicated algorithms for BGP. And then we need, of course, to take into account that OSPF depends, uh, sorry, BGP depends on OSPF, right? And so we also need to be careful about the dependencies between this protocol. So we also have like, in our model, right, we take this into account. So all these models, by the way, they are quite complex to come up with. So it's not something you need to know, right? It's in the back end, but it's something that uh, yeah, took my grad student, so Ahmed, uh, who is the, the lead on this project, like six months of work uh, to, to actually produce these models. But once they are there, you can use them for like generating this configuration automatically. Coming up with the model is quite tough, but again, once it's there, uh, it's there for good. As I said, right now we support BGP or SPF and static route, which are kind of easy to generate if you think of it. The real difficulty is OSPF and BGP because there is a distributed aspect there. So if you want to support like MPLS, using LDP or SVPTE, all these nasty other protocols that networks have, uh, multicast, for instance, you would of course need to or ask us, let's say, to, to actually write these models, right? And to find like algorithms to invert the protocol there. So that's something to take into account. Like, again, I'm not selling anything. It's, it's research, <laughs> right? But right now we support OSPF and BGP, but nothing else. So, uh, so this would be, uh, this would need to be extended. It is possible to be extended, but it would need to be extended to work for other protocols. Cool. Can I um, make one statement, which will need some clarification and then one question? So the question, let's go with the easy one first is around how these kind of templates are defined. So you say there are holes 
most network engineers that are coming to the automation space right now, um, Jinder 2 templating kind of just rolls off the tongue. And it's common because it's easy. So are you using a kind of uh, a common templating language um, used or have you made your own? So first of all, that's really true, right? And we are, of course, well aware of that, that many people use templating languages for this. So think of NetComplete as kind of like a way to generate these templates in the first place or like to do things that get out of the template, right? So the template, you probably use that to provision a new BGP peer, let's say, or like, I don't know, create like bootstrap a new router using the, the default vanilla configuration. So NetComplete is not for that, right? NetComplete is more for, well, what if you actually need to uh, change the template to do something else, right? You didn't have a load balancing in your network, so you need now load balancing. So you, you want to make sure that load balancing is enabled, let's say, by having different uh, SPF weights. So we did not use a specific templating language. So the, the way we work is right now by parsing raw configuration iOS. I think we support iOS and Junos, but it was not the main thing for us because, again, we're not trying to be like a production tool. So we needed some way to get the, the configuration in, and we, we went for the most bare-bone format there was, which was just the text directly. But we can, I think, very easily take a template instead of a concrete config with Sketch, right? So that, that wouldn't be a major overall, I would say actually make our life probably much easier in the first place uh, because we wouldn't have to understand the uh, the syntax of like existing router vendors so it's it's actually a good thing for us i would imagine you make some interesting i mean pointer there so i guess if you go down that route you have to understand less and those algorithms are going to be they're going to be complex on the back end i mean it's our stuff in the worst case scenarios maybe you make a translator that goes from commonly used to your format so you don't have to rewrite any code the statement I want to make, though, is really from a, from a listener point of view, if you're kind of driving along thinking, hey, this sounds great, but trying to get a mental frame around it. I mean, I initially misunderstood, and I'm really glad that everything you've explained is, is kind of really clear to me now. But I think I'd like to make this statement that what you have and the difference really here is, say, traditionally, you take a template, you take some variables, you do some rendering, and then you decide how to push. What you have on as a third tier on top of that is this kind of whole back end and saying, well, actually, I want to do these things but as well, let's go back to the multipath. I want these multipath things here, and it's almost like this this backend system adds this this layer of intelligence in from the intent system. So it, it's kind of like one step further down the line, I think, where most people are right now. And I think this could be quite easily integrated into most pipelines out there. I'm just trying to trying to simplify this down a little bit from no, no, you're from right. a cognitive load. What this feels like to me, and again, I I like the fact that you've decoupled what I would consider to be what people expect from an automation platform where you have your, here's the template, here's my intention, and here, push the thing out. I like the fact that it's all decoupled, right? It's modular. Because what this feels like to me is this feels like it's trying to, and coming pretty close to solving one of the more difficult problems in automation today, which is defining business logic. That's generally the most difficult task, and you've abstracted a lot of that away by saying, you tell me what you want it to do, and then the other piece, you know, and we'll express that, and then the other pieces can handle the parts that they're good at. And maybe I'm misunderstanding, but that's what it feels like it it solves to me. I mean, I think you're right, right? I think you start from, let's say, a high-level business intent, even though I don't like that term so much because I think it's not so precise, but you have, like, so for warning requirement about your network, 
and you just you're not sure about the configuration that that will implement it. Um, so here you, you have a tool that will do that for you, right? And I want to stress that I'm not trying to replace the network engineer, right? Uh, at the end of the day, you still need them. But we, I think we make their life much easier because we automate the, I mean, the nasty part of having to figure out exactly the right sequence of parameters that will make the entire network do exactly what you want, given also strong operational constraint. Like you cannot touch this, you cannot touch that, that router is out of bounds, you should find a solution which only involves this and that router. So this is where really when you take all these operational constraints into account that the problem becomes very, very hard, even for like, I don't know, multi-CCIE superstar, right? You you really need um, to think through. And well, when you are dealing with a complex network, I mean, it's much better to have a, an algorithm do it for you. And then you observe the results, right? So uh, at the end of the day, it will be like the same good old configuration that we love to hate, right? And uh, you can look at them. And hopefully, as I said, verifying them will be, and I really believe this, that verifying configuration, at least uh, something that you have been like, it's a tailoring by these sketches, right? That you can really look at it and, and then be convinced indeed that it does what you want without the hassle of having to find it yourself. So it's kind of like, this is where I think that shines. And that's really what, what drove us, right? That was the motivation for us was to trying to automate the operator, but not completely, just the annoying bit. Let's say that, that was the idea. Now, if I go back to how you do the magic, if I understood correctly, you just take the whole system. It has a number of unknown variables. You plug some values in and then you see what happens. And then you plug some other values in and you see what happens and you try to learn from that. Am I approximately right so far? For SPF, yes. That's, uh, for SPF, you're actually very uh, accurate, yes. And uh, for BGP, it's a little bit different, but for SPF, yeah. So this sounds somewhat like uh, machine learning. So is it in that same category or is it something completely different going on behind the scenes? It's different, even although I think we could benefit from some machine learning uh, in order to speed up the search a little bit. But I like you actually, your, your positioning of it. It's really like having a system composed of equations, right? Where some values are known. And these values are the actual uh, parameters in the configuration. And you can think of it as a large set of equations. And what we kind of do in the background, right, is that we take this set of equations and we encode them. I mean, I don't want to enter into the greedy details of like blasting uh, people with technical terms, but there have been a lot of progress on, let's say, encoding technologies and solver technologies in the first place. And what we essentially do here is that we use satisfiability modulo theory to encode that. So perhaps some of the audience here have known about the SAT solver, right? Perhaps you guys know this as well, in which you have like a logical formula, right? A or B and C and this kind of thing. And then you try to find like values for the different variables that make the formula true. So it's a Boolean formula in this case. So that's what is going on behind the scene here in the complete. So we take these protocols, right? This SPF, this BGP, and then we encode them into a gigantic logical formula where some of the values are concrete. They come from the configuration, for instance, and some of the values are unknown variables, as I call that. And then we essentially give that to a solver. And then we ask the solver, please find me an assignment that makes the entire formula true. 
And the solver finds that and then gives me back all this concrete value, which we then turn back into a configuration at the end. And so this trial and this uh, trial and error that I was mentioning is how we interact with the solver. So uh, instead of like, you can think of it as a trying to make the life of the solver a little bit easier. Instead of asking the solver to completely solve the problem, what we do is that we try, we make up some values, we ask if it is not correct, we try again. And that's one heuristic that we use, if you want. The search heuristic, right? To actually guide the search through this gigantic space of like assignments to this variable. And you're fully right that one could imagine using machine learning to learn better strategies to solve this problem. And that's something we did not do. We kind of use like deterministic strategies to solve the problem right now. But I think this would actually be, be really cool if that would be possible. And I think one extremely nice let's say, positioning for machine learning in this space would be to actually learn the model in the first place. I mentioned that you need to encode all this protocol and the behavior like BGP, OSPF, static crowd. This is what we did, right? But like being able to learn that automatically would be great. You have seen probably all this video of like uh, machine learning, learning how to play, I don't know, Mario Bros or like Tetris. So here the idea is that can we have machine learning learn how to configure, I don't know, MPLS, for instance. And if you can do that, then you can actually automatically learn the model, right? That you can then plug into our, our framework and, and use that to generate the configuration. That is more like science fiction, right? This is something we did not do. That would be very cool, right? If possible, that's something I have in the back of my head. Possibly we will try once, one day. But right now, the algorithm is, is kind of like much more straightforward and really involve, as I said, building a gigantic logical formula that encodes the behavior of the network giving that to a solver, a little bit like linear equation, right? That you want to find like values for that. You can also give that to a solver and then turn the crank and ask the solver to do the job for you. That was a long answer. I'm sorry. Yeah, but in your case, the equations are non-linear and the whole thing has proven to be MP complete, right? Yeah, yeah. So the problem is super hard, right? Finding these values for this Boolean variable is indeed like an MP complete problem, right? And so the thing, though, is that there has been really like dramatic improvement in solver technologies over the years. And so there is this SAT solver formula uh, competition in which you can really see every year the solver that are like being produced, right, implemented, that gets better and better, right, and can solve larger and larger formula. And to the point now that you can really solve industry level formula, like what we are doing. This idea of SAT solving has been used in many different domains, right? Also like in uh, hardware uh, synthesis, right? For instance, where you want to figure out how to, uh, to design a um, circuit, right? You could also like encode this as a, the same model and you can also solve it the same way. So we leverage if you want like progress in that space. But you're right that the problem at the core, which is like to find these values for these variables, is indeed like uh, intrinsically uh, hard, right? It's, uh, there is no beating the complexity there. It's just that the technology has improved to the point that it becomes practical now for large network. But like 10 years ago, this would have not worked at all, right? So we really leverage the advancement, the advances there in solver technologies. So the worst case running time is still exponential, but you get lucky most of the time and get results back in reasonable time, right? 
Yeah, that is true. Yes. As I said, there is no beating the fact that the problem is hard as it's core. So we happen to, when we run it on like practical instances, we do find, uh, we do find solutions in reasonable time, like minutes. But you're right that um, if the network is gigantic, right? So a lot of the complexity, right? And uh, the running time, I think that will be intuitive is that it is dependent directly on how big is the hole, right? So if the configuration is almost empty and you give me thousands and thousands of requirements in a huge network, well, the problem is extremely hard, right? Because it's very little constraint. On the other hand, if you constrain the problem a lot by only telling me, I just want to find two OSPF weights on these two routers on these links, for instance. Well, then the problem is very small. The search space is very small. And then we will actually be very fast in finding this. So there is a there is really a trade-off, right? As you, let's say, loosen up your configuration more and more, then, of course, you will have to pay that in running time. There is no way around that. But the intuition here is that I believe that most of the time people have at least some clue in how they want to solve the problem. At the very least, the operational constraint are these clues that you can put in already. But perhaps it's true you might not know whether you should use OSPF or BGP for that, and then you have to leave both open. That will make the job of NetComplete harder. That is definitely the case. If NetComplete is too slow, right, then you can use your brain, and then you can concretize the configuration a bit more, right? You can say, Okay, it's just like, for instance, if you have given like OSPF and BGP blank, you might say, okay, let me configure OSPF and let me only leave BGP blank or vice versa and see what the config is is coming back. And if you're not satisfied, you can do the opposite. So you can play a little bit with the tool, right? And uh, you can leverage where the tool is good at and hopefully complete where the tool is bad at with your knowledge of how networks work. So that's kind of also like something that you can put into a workflow, I think, and leverage that. The last question I have on the OSPF part. OSPF is really easy conceptually if you stay within one area. Yeah. And it becomes a huge unmanageable can of worms if you start using multiple areas and all the corner cases like, oh, this ABR is not leaking this type 7 LSA over because of router ID and so on. So how far did you go in your understanding of OSPF? Well, I have a good understanding of OSPF, right? And it complete as a lesser good, let's say, understanding of OSPF than uh, certainly you have. So it's true that right now we only support like a single area. So area zero type of configuration. We do not support like multi-area configuration. That's something that would need to be added to the model, as I said. You're free, right? That OSPF becomes very hairy whenever you go there, um, partially because it starts to behave like distance vector, right? Between the areas. Yes. As you know, if only it would be just that. No, no. And also the way you rank the different paths changes and everything. So, but the cool thing is that we were able also to encode BGP, right? And uh, BGP, okay, it's a path vector, not a distance vector. But my hope is that since we also know how to do path vector, that somehow we can turn this into distance vector. And then from there, we can encompass some of the, of the greedy details of the intra versus inter area. And then we can also change the way the paths are compared against each other. That said, 
Yeah, the tool does not support that at the moment. So if people want to try this out and have like multiple OSPF areas, this is not for them at least, not now. My hope also is that less people are using hierarchical OSPF than before, because my understanding is that now the router can scale more and more within a single area, and that is so much easier anyway. But if your network is such network, then yeah, that complete is not for you. Again, this is a research work. Clearly, I'm not selling anything here. I was going to say, so I was going to tag on to what Yvonne asked about OSPF. You know, it can be kind of hairy. BGP, anyone that's spent a significant amount of time in it knows that it also can be exponentially complex the deeper you go into it. And I wanted to see how far you went down that rabbit hole. You know, are you handling, how many NLRIs are you dealing with and what other kinds of complexities have you addressed in your project so far? Yes, it's a very good question, right? So right now we deal with like the normal IP um, address family. So IPv4, IPv6, we can deal with that. We did not deal with, let's say, with PGP, MPLS, VPN, because that would require us to start looking at MPLS. And as I said, we don't support it at the moment. So that's something that we don't do. What we do, though, is like, uh, of course, we deal with like local pref, pre-pending, like uh, MED, communities, this kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's all there, like full mesh, route reflection, that kind of things. It's also there, like roadmaps, right, that set them up. So this is also there. I would say that we went far enough, I say, just to show that it works and it can work. But again, of course, I understand that if somebody would be to, uh, to deploy this in production, all these things that we don't do would need to be added. I mean, I would be happy to, to see, right? The code is open source. It would be actually great if people would be interested and start like uh, helping us in building a, bill, a bigger thing and also tell us what key, let's say, features would be needed to add first if we had like, uh, because we have a limited amount of time, right? So which one should we add to make the tool even more practical? Did I answer, Moles? Yeah, I mean, you've gone further down the rabbit hole than I honestly expected from research project. I mean, there's a lot of these things that get started and they do IPv4. And then they kind of stop there, but you've gone well down the path of thinking about carrying other protocols, addressing the, you know, the tuning parameters, dealing with route maps and filtering, which, you know, is pretty near and dear to my heart because that's a requirement that we don't actually require. And so this is encouraging to me, at least. Yeah. The IP thing. What we see in the, what we do in the tool, right, is that we reason about like, uh, destination prefixes, right? So for us, the fact that it's IPv4, IPv6, I mean, it's not that fundamental. Of course, like the way you configure it, you need to adapt the, uh, when you need to create this new address family, you need to make sure that everything is kosher there. But indeed, that is not the most hard thing to support. The filtering is by far the hardest, right? Because that modifies the way the route looks at different points in the network. And so you need to be able to reason about this because depending on the holes that you have in your configuration, you might need to add stuff beforehand, right? So if you, uh, like to give an example, if you need a router to prefer a route, like in the far end of your, of your network, then you cannot change the configuration of that router. But that router actually, I don't know, is looking at, uh, it matches on a, on a given community and then increase the local private accordingly, magically, right? So uh, by luck, you know that this is the case, right? So NetComplete can actually see this, right? And can automatically start tagging routes, for instance, on other routers with that community, such that this router would actually increase the local price there. 
this network-wide reasoning is really the hard part, I think, because you kind of need to reason about propagation graph, right, and how the PGP route looks like as it propagates through the network. This is the uh, the hard part. Yeah, that's great. I mean, like I've said it many times, BGP is one of the easiest protocols to make work and one of the most to master and do correctly. So, again, just dealing with the filters alone and the community-based stuff is very encouraging. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so just to recap what you just told us, are you saying that I could fake the configuration of my upstream peers, pretend that this is how they would deal with communities based on what they published on their website, and your tool could automatically generate the outbound route maps for me that I need to meet my whatever traffic distribution requirements. Can you be a little bit more explicit on what you mean by distribution requirements? What do you mean by this? Well, you see, the big problem in BGP is how do I influence the inbound traffic? Mm-hmm. Sure. And we do this with communities and it's always black magic. Mm-hmm. Now, what I usually do is I look at what my upstreams have published as this is my policy based on what community you send me. And I could encode that in a router configuration. Of course, yeah. So I could pretend that I know how the upstream peer is configured. And now with your tool, I could tweak parameters on my end to get the inbound traffic distribution the way I want it to be, right? Yeah, you can do that, definitely. Actually, this is a nice use case. We didn't think of it. That said, of course, a gotcha, right, is that you need to be sure that, I mean, the way your provider, your upstream, has configured its policies, right, is compliant with what is on the website, right? Because, of course, this we cannot do anything against, right? But if what is publicly available or what has been communicated to you precisely describes the behavior of your upstream, then yeah, you can you can actually do that. You you turn that into a configuration and then you give the requirements, right? The intent that you want in terms of distribution of the traffic. And you leave as holes, right? The communities that you need to be set on the outbound roadmap for that peer. And it's the job of, of the complete to actually concretize them with actual values. So um, yeah, that would be a, a use case. And uh, I don't think the hardest one, actually, uh, because... It would be kind of local if you think only uh, of this as two peers, right? Of course, you can also encode like more network-wide requirements if you think about load balancing on multiple egresses, right? So you, you could also encode that. That would then become more complex, and but also possible, right? It's certainly something that would fit into our, our framework right now. Interesting. Laurent, in terms of the BGP tiebreakers, I've been dying to ask this. I've been kind of jumping up and down in the background. How many of them does your kind of current model take into account? I think there's like kind of 13 or so from memory. Yeah, they would do have uh, simplified a lot. If you look at in, into the latest uh, stages, right, about this uh, preferred the older route and this kind of thing, so that's something we don't really uh, consider. So we assume that BGP is deterministic and will not start to prefer like routes that have appeared before than others. That we don't do, for instance. That would actually make the, the model really hard, I think, because uh, it makes BGP non-deterministic, which is, of course, hard to model and to reason about. Besides that, we do support, like, if I start from the beginning, right, uh, so, like, local pref, ESPass, MEV, yes, we support that. And then IGP cost as well, right, because, uh, as I said, like, we, of course, are aware that BGP relies on SPF or, like, IGP cost to, uh, to select the best egress when there are multiple equivalent ones. 
We also support, as I said, even though it's not a tiebreaker, we also support like modification of these attributes according to communities. And that's, I think, roughly there. So we don't support like weight that would go into uh, position zero in the decision process, right? Like before even the local pref, these kind of things we don't support. I think we could support it, but we didn't do it. The other one I can see that we don't support is, as I said, this time-based one. I'm not sure. Do you have others in mind that I missed? No, non particularly. Um, I've just I take a lot of experience on you know previous jobs where I've been in production systems where we have or had sorry a tremendous amount of kind of complex decision making, and, and it's typically different engineers have done different things historically. So where I'm coming from is like a brownfield view. You know, if we were to take your kind of tool and, and add it into one of those brownfields, I mean. I'm just trying to figure out how much complexity it can handle because of, you know, brownfield type. So I think to be honest, there will be like, uh, we will need more work in order to deploy that thing. Now though, I think the, the use case you mentioned is actually a great one uh, as an example for us and why you would need a tool like NetComplete, right? So if you think about the network configuration that has evolved over years and years, perhaps with different generation of network engineers that have like configured it, which I think is probably like true in a lot of networks out there. So you end up with like a huge spaghetti uh, like mess, right? Where some pieces of the configuration people don't dare to touch anymore because you don't even know what they are doing. And so this is actually something that NetComplete can be used for is to kind of like refactor the configuration, right? You can say, I don't want to do these requirements with BGP anymore. Let me actually find an equivalent OSPF configuration that does it. And then you can actually take NetComplete, delete the BGP configuration, leave the OSPF configuration empty or like as a whole, right, uh, sketch, and then ask NetComplete to find you an equivalent configuration. So it's kind of like refactoring or like semi-automated refactoring, right? These are things like also like a good use case. That I think can be used for that as well. It's really, really cool. Um, I like that. Simplifying complexity is always a massive bonus. Yeah, exactly. Also, of course, in software, right? In software, it's, it's actually much, if you think of it, there are like a lot of help from IDEs nowadays to, to kind of like refactor, where, for instance, if you change a variable, the change will be propagated uh, everywhere in the code, this kind of thing. We lack such IDE or like smart IDEs in networks, right? It's really basic right now what we, what we have. And such tool, right, I think could really uh, be used in the backend of more powerful editors. And refactoring is, I think, a big deal. I would hope that this is a big deal because it can really help in, in uh, managing the configuration on a longer time frame. Super. I'm, I'm kind of interested now, sorry to change the topic a little bit. How is it packaged and how is it distributed? So if I wanted to take this today and use it, can you talk me through what that looks like? Sure, yes. By the way, We'll publish the URL after that, but the code is online, it's open source. So I advise uh, everybody to actually take a look if they are interested. But it's essentially two parts, right? There is kind of like a Python part, and then there is this solver part that I mentioned. So um, if you want, we have Python wrapper that deals with like the uh, reasoning about the configuration with holes and like you know, more like the parsing and this kind of thing. And then also what the Python code does is like generating this big gigantic formula, which is then given to the solver. And also this kind of heuristic of the, of the search that I mentioned uh, is also uh, dealt with in Python. And then, so the Python code is generating all this big formula and then give that to a, a solver library. And in this case, we use Z3. 
which is one of the main library to actually solve uh, this SAT looking like formula, just to simplify a little bit. So we use that solver, get the result back in the Python world again, and then return that into a configuration afterwards. The pipeline is a little bit like this. Something that would need to be added to the raw framework that I will list online is actually the uh, the piece where you go from the uh, like the raw Cisco configuration down to uh, to the first layer of NetComplete. But that that can be uh, there are like multiple tools that can parse Cisco configuration there that can be added directly. So I, we can also list them directly in the GitHub repo if people are interested. So that then that link is there as well. Roughly, that's how it would look like. Excellent. You've blown our minds here with what you have. I think Chris made a really valid point in the background here about maybe this is kind of like a linter as well. This is really cool. Yeah, and I would like to stress that this is a team effort, right? So by no means, I want to, to take all the credit for that. So we are like a team of four who worked on this. There is uh, my grad student, Ahmed, and then there is also two people who are more like expert in programming language technologies. And so um, Martin and Pitar. Also in the team, so it's really like a joint effort. And Ahmed did all the code, so I'm, I'm here speaking, but there is somebody else who wrote the entire thing and make it work. So it is all the credit. That would be actually the topic of his uh, PhD thesis. So that's kind of like I'm the messenger, but really Ahmed should really deserve the credit. It's the royal you, exactly. exactly. <laughs> awesome. Oh, great job, team. This is cool stuff. Yeah, I want to second what David just said. I got here a little bit late, so I've just been hovering in the background and just the whole concept of an IDE and, you know, all that goes along with that linting, potentially coverage, like just that as a concept is I'm not going to sleep for a week now. That's awesome. I mean, it would be actually great to, uh, I mean, it would take a lot of work to do it, but I think it would be really useful, right? And uh, I think it's a, it's a recurring theme also on, uh, on IP space, right? But the need for more automation and automation tools, right? I think like powerful IDEs or like network is needed, yeah. I wish this was there, like, but I hope that the complete can help for whoever wants to build that. It's probably not the role of an academic at that level, but I would be happy to help at least. Okay, so let's wrap it up right here. Our minds are blown. The code is online, so anyone can just download it and start playing with it. And if they get questions or want to get in touch with you or want to know more or want to make a product out of this, how can they do that? Yeah, probably the easier actually to reach us is to just look for NetComplete in one word, ETH on Google, right? And then you will immediately find a website, which is a website you referred at the very beginning. And from there, there is our contact information at the very bottom of that website, including also a link to our group webpage where people can find other publications that we also have discussed actually in previous podcasts. And also there is right there in the middle of the webpage in uh, yellow, there is a box with uh, a link for accessing the code on GitHub. And then people can just go and clone the repository. There's a bunch of uh, unit tests that can be used and a bunch of examples on how to... uh, for instance, use the OSPF uh, discovery mechanism or like a BGP. So there is like this, uh, I think, quite an extensive for an academic project set of examples and, and test. And then I understand, of course, that this is still very rough, right? And so, as you said, like if people want to use that in production, I think th- there would be work needed for sure. And I think there what would be great if, I mean, if people are interested or like in use cases that they have in mind that we did not think about, they should just 
ping us by email, right? And uh, our email address is also on the web page. They can just send us an email and then uh, hopefully it is easy enough for us to add the support directly in that complete or like start perhaps like an extension project uh, with, with this in mind. So that's, I think, the best. Otherwise, I'm also on Twitter if people want to follow me there. And my personal webpage is vanbever, V-A-N-B-E-V-E-R.eu if people want to check it out and they can find me there as well. Perfect. Thanks a million for this update. Let's start in alphabetical order with Chris. Where can people find you? So you can find me at NetmanChris on Twitter. Control issues with a K is the blog uh, with HomeKit Geek following the home automation other side of my uh, split personality these days. Uh, if I understood correctly, you automated kids this week, right? I'm trying hard. Yeah, honestly, I am developing a source of truth for my house and calculating volume area for rooms to optimize for air quality. So lots of fun. Awesome. David, where can people find you? You can find me loitering on Twitter, so at underscore IP engineer. Um, I think that's like the fourth or fifth name change in the last three years. The blog is ipengineer.net, and you can also find me as an occasional co-host on this very podcast. And tomorrow you'll be speaking in the automation course, right? Oh, yeah, I'm super excited about that. Absolutely. <laughs> that will be fun, washing hands before you start automating. Oh, putting my scrubs on and all that. Absolutely. Yep. Great. Nick, what about you? Oh, I'm lurking around on Twitter at Forwarding Plane, and I blog at forwardingplane.net and various other slacks and occasionally co-hosting on here. And I'm Ivan Pepelniak. You can find me on ipspace.net, where you'll find my website, blog, this podcast, and a number of other things. And if you want to download more podcast episodes, just go to podcast.ipspace.net and enjoy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Software Gone Wild. If you want to learn more about software-defined networking, network automation, and related topics, visit sdn.ipspace.net and explore our courses, books, webinars, and podcasts.